0: To sleep, perchance, to dream, I, I, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come. All right, based on that awful reading, I think you'll understand that we're talking about Mel Brooks's 1983 movie, To Be or Not To Be. I'm Mark D., IT guy, dad, and my kid is just screaming in the background, and that's cool. Because it's fine. Kids are kids, and they do their thing, and it's really a tough time for him, for kids everywhere. But, hey, we're here, and uh, no, I'm not sad, I'm not depressed. This movie isn't depressing at all. Okay, this movie's really depressing and really fucked up. Not Okay, let me reel that back in. To be or not to be is what I can assume to be Mel Brooks's take on the sound of music. Mel Brooks made The Producers, I believe, in 1968. He's no stranger to theater or anything like that. He's, he's that, that's very much in his wheelhouse. So, as far as, you know, what's going on with him in 1983, I don't know, I didn't do research, I just watched the movie. But the whole thing is set with the German invasion of Poland in World War II as the background, and he's, uh, I guess, the leader of a, a Polish theater troupe, troupe, and Anne Bancroft, Plays his wife, who is also Polish, and there are a lot of good gags in the movie. But then the movie takes a really negative turn, and it f- kind of zeroes in on, on certain things that happen that maybe don't get all the publicity that that they warrant. They warrant more more attention, but they are largely ignored for reasons. And yeah, it's a bad scene, but there's there's good gags. There's a hero turn kind of in the in the middle you know i was watching the movie and i get to the middle and i'm like oh the movie's done this is this is the peak this is the big exit and it's no it's it's more structured to be i guess you know the big peak right before intermission right you want people to come back so you make them feel good i guess this is my also unscientific un uneducated impression again i don't do theater things so this movie is it feels a bit like The Sound of Music but it also feels like Inglorious Bastards was more than just slightly inspired by it in certain ways. And there's a lot to do there's I'd love to talk about Inglorious Bastards all day. And yeah, it just it feels that way. I don't know that it is that way, but it is a Male Brooks film a male but a Mel Brooks film. Um, it is a Mel Brooks film. <laughs> oh wow. that was well. It is a Mel Brooks film, and Quentin Tarantino is somebody who does watch a lot of film. He studies film. He loves film. So, not terribly unreasonable to assume that he saw this movie at some point in time. I'm not saying he ripped anything off, because he definitely makes it different. But definitely getting vibes. You know, just feeling. When the movie started out, I was like, "Oh, this is an examination about about being in showbiz, about you know the validation, the the ego of the performers and the the creators." But it a thousand percent kind of veers away from that. And I mean, it, the the themes are are still present, but very subdued, with the forefront being like actual threatening of life and limb and war and things like that so yeah it's definitely a thing uh so at, 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 it starts out funny it starts out goofy and then the movie sets the stakes and it's like oh the nazis are invading poland so we uh yeah we might all die kind of thing and uh yeah it uh, the stakes never fully go away Uh, Tim Matheson, I think is his name, the guy who played Otter in, uh, and that's how I think of him. I think of him as Otter every time the guy who plays Otter in animal house, he's a pilot and it's a whole thing. And there's like a love triangle that doesn't, it doesn't fully amount to things and it feels very much like a, like a a Broadway musical that got into movie form, but it never quite congealed. This movie never, the movie never feels like it really picks up and goes. And that's unfortunate. I wanted to like it. I, I don't hate it, but I didn't, I didn't love it. It's not, you know, in my pantheon of, of Mel Brooks movies, it's a lot darker. It's not quite cynical, and it definitely has jokes. I laughed several times, but, you know, I think the specter overhanging the movie and, and things like that. And, and if you didn't know, The Sound of Music is in kind of uh, World War II Austria, and the Nazis kind of show up and they escape. My kid hates Nazis, that's why he's yelling. He's like, stop saying Nazis. Um, I can only assume. But the movie does start out with some good gags. It starts out with, uh, they're doing kind of a song and dance review kind of thing. And Mel Brooks is on screen for way too long. So let's rewind it. And, and the, the intro credits are all paintings of Mel Brooks as a fictional uh, character in but like it's only his face and all these these theater posters. And um then he's just on screen for like a long time with Anne Bancroft and they're doing their their song and dance number. Mel Brooks a big fan of song and dance. There's a bunch in a bunch of his movies and we'll you know we'll get through it. And obviously none in Silent Movie. Silent movie was a silent movie. But it starts out there and He's doing like uh, a song and dance thing of Hitler, and that really made me think of Springtime for Hitler, and things like that. And it was it was funny. He was he was playing an actor playing Hitler, and I mean, spoiler alert: at, at some point, he ends up playing Hitler. So, and he's like a bad actor. He's not a great one, um, but when he really starts to ham it up, he really sucks. And I think he's talking a little bit about himself in a lot of ways in this movie. And I felt like the the Hitler. Musical stuff could have been, like, B-sides from the producers. Songs that didn't quite make the cut, right? And he does use the Hile Myself joke often. I kind of get the vibe that maybe where this movie went wrong is that this movie had a bit more ambition in terms of plotting. It had various characters, and they didn't all have their own story. It It was one central story. Again, very Sound of Music, but with more angles to it which didn't work out but maybe movies of those times or shows of those times because I'm not again not a not a a theater guy so I don't really have a lot of context to to draw from here but they come with a love triangle but then the love triangle really collapses into nothing and it, it becomes a love quad you know a pentagon at one point which was fun because you know you know two of the three are nazis and that, that's that's cool. And there's a lot of gags there with the Nazis and with escaping them and outsmarting them and and doing all these things. And it, it worked out. There was good jokes. There was some jokes that uh, weren't great, like the pickle joke at the end. That one didn't land. I, I it, it was better that he just showed up as Hitler than to say anything about the pickle. So, yeah, I just, I didn't. I don't like this one all that much. You know, there's some good lines like, um, and Bancroft's character is like, have you ever heard of my husband? He's, you know, the world's famous actor. And they're like, no, he's, he's world famous in Poland. And, uh, you know, it's a funny line. And the whole thing is that he's an actor who uh, definitely feels himself, but no one kind of recognizes him. And then the one guy that does is like, that guy sucked. So it's a, it's a whole thing there's um there's an f-word in this movie i think there might be an f-word in every movie but again not not coming out of hate per se but definitely a more liberal use than that we would use it nowadays but he does bring attention to the fact that the nazis actually did start rounding up homosexuals and they treated them similar to the jews and you know during the holocaust where they were interning them executing them or or otherwise they believe them as being lesser than and that comes into play here and the usage of the f word is a it's an interesting joke it didn't offend me but you know if you are considering watching this movie just know that it's in there but yeah after the big kind of like oh this is the end of the movie in the middle of the movie it's a bit of a roller coaster and it's um it's not as goofy as it could have been it's the stakes are a little too high and a little too real and you know we looking back have a concept of that that point in time in history so as much levity as it it tried to bring uh, it also brought the room down a little bit maybe and I don't, I don't know I don't know what the personal circumstances behind all this were but but it definitely made the movie feel different. I don't even know who who wrote on it, if it was just him or if he had co-writers, I'll look that up. Let's do that. Let's do the one bit of research. And here comes the air conditioning. Okay, so definitely there were other writers on this. Thomas Meehan and uh, Ronnie Graham were on the screenplay. Edwin Justice Mayer was the 1942 screenplay. I don't know what the fuck that means. Is this a, a remake of a movie? Oh, shit. No. Uh, what? 1942 screenplay? What the fuck does that mean? Melchior the uh, Story? Story Uncredited. I might actually need to read something. Journalist and author. Okay. Let's just hit the Wikipedia page for this, man. Because I just went in cold. I don't know a damn thing about this movie. Or I, I didn't until I saw it, and then I've only seen it, and I know about World War II. But yes, it looks like there was a to-be-or-not-to-be in 1942, right? During the Nazi occupation of Portland, of Portland, holy shit, the dream of the Nazis is alive in Portland. No, no, that's a, that's a Portlandia thing, it's the dream of the 90s, and I actually have that on a 7-inch, I fucking love that show. But, uh, during the Nazi occupation of Poland, an acting troupe becomes embroiled in a Polish soldier's efforts... To track down a German spire. Okay, so that is the movie. So then it is a remake. And that was uh, Jack Benny and uh, Carol Lombard. And Robert Stack? Motherfucker. Robert Stack could not have... Holy shit, Robert Stack was in this movie. Holy fuck. Robert Stack was in To Be or Not To Be. That must have been amazing. Who the fuck was he? That was 1942, homie. That was a long time ago. Oh, he's Sobinski. Okay, so he's the Polish uh, soldier. That's awesome. That must have been amazing to watch. A fucking Robert Stack in this movie, even though Sobinski's uh, role is, is pretty straight. Yo, Robert Stack was jacked. Holy shit. I'm looking at a picture of, of of him here in The Iron Glove, 1954. Dude was jacked. What is going on? That doesn't even make sense how strong that man looks right there. But yeah, I mean, the, the idea of a an acting troupe, a theater troupe, running a counterintelligence op is very funny. You know, uh, Mel Brooks is very self-effacing. Jack Benny, I would have imagined, would have played a very similar role. But execution wasn't there. Maybe I'm expecting more. Maybe I'm just a modern, you know, 2020 viewer at this point, and there's no global pandemic in it. But, yeah, it didn't hit. It didn't land with me. It didn't hit. I don't like theater that much, so I'm sure there were jokes I didn't get. I don't, uh, I don't know. It just didn't land. They don't all land. They're not all perfect, but I definitely laughed more than once. Just as a whole, the experience was a bit of a downer, Um, you know, once you sum everything up. So that's it. That's been To Be or Not To Be. This has been a short one. Not much to talk about. I'm not super familiar with the cast. Uh, I, well, you know, Jose Ferrer. Actually, this is the first time that I've ever seen him in a movie. And he is stellar. Or Jose Ferrer, right? Which was uh, Miguel Ferrer's dad. Who was a, a cool actor. He was in uh, Twin Peaks and a couple of things. Cool guy. Voice actor. Uh... Jose Ferred also did uh, Cyrano de Bergerac, which is on YouTube, I think. Like, legit, the whole movie's on YouTube. I think I had it fucking by accident in a tab when I just looked it up or something or I looked up Jose Ferred to see his face, to see you know, what he looked like, and it turns out he looked like his son quite a bit. Or maybe it was when I was looking for the movie poster for the, the show notes. And I can't find it now. That's great. Oh, here it is in the Jose Ferred tab. But Cyrano de Bergerac is a 1950 movie and he plays, I can only assume the titular character of Cyrano de Bergerac, but he has this huge nose prosthetic and it is my recollection now after seeing the huge nose pros- prosthetic that Roxanne with Steve Martin was kind of the same thing and I happened to skip forward to a scene where he's completely roasting a guy. So if you want to see it, it's, it's straight on YouTube. It's... Cyrano de Bergerac, 1950, Jose Ferrer, F-E-R-R-E-R. And there's a link to the Roxanne movie trailer right below it. So that seems legit. But he's straight roasting the dude, but they all look like fucking musketeers. So, you know, it's a different vibe. But check that out. Mel Brooks movies. They're a fun time. I I definitely didn't hate my time. I don't think that I wasted my time. But not a movie that I'm going to rewatch. Ever. Probably. Happy to have seen it. Happy to have learned more about movies and movie history a bit. Not a whole lot, because like I said, I didn't uh, research any of this. But again, at on Twitter, at CoolMarkD, Cool with a C and Mark with a K. At, l- mark, at MarkD20 on letterboxed. And I'm going to be doing Mel Brooks movies, so, you know, like them or not, you or me, right? We're, we're just going to go through it, and they're going to be quick. It's just going to be a thing. So, you know, see you next time. Black Lives Matter. Wear a mask. Stay safe. Be nice. Be nice to people.